Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Today's episode is the Source Selection Zone. This is the last in our four-part series describing the acquisition time zones in more detail. Today's episode is sponsored by the Skyway Connection. If you need help with the government market from a team of contracting officers, go to skywayacquisition.com connect. All right, let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today we're going to talk about the source selection zone. We are. And to refresh everybody on the four time zones, the, the quick overview is the four time zones are the way that we talk about the acquisition process. So the first time zone is the requirement zone. Second time zone is the market research zone. Third time zone is the RFP zone. And the fourth time zone, which we're in now, is the source selection zone. If you want the wave top level of all four of those, go back and listen to podcast number three. This is a deep dive into zone four. So this is the fourth in our four pack. Right. So today we're going to talk about you know, we're going to cover what is the source selection zone. We're going to talk about the types of communication that are allowed back and forth between government and industry during this zone. We're going to, of course, cover what the government team is doing and what industry is doing during this zone. And as a spoiler alert, we're not, we're going to try not to cover how. Uh, this is warning up front. This is one of those that we could make a six-hour podcast out of. As you can imagine, source selection is a very complicated topic. So rather than really get into the how to do these well. There's a whole other series of podcasts we'll do about that, maybe some training. But the, the goal here is to go to what and when. Right, and the, that, the how of the evaluation and the, uh, the, the horror stories we'll try to, uh, try to save for later and stick with what happens during this zone. Correct. All right, so what is it, Kevin? So in a nutshell, because I like to keep things you know, as simple as I can, right, it's decision time, Right. That's really what the source selection is. Is okay. We've gone through all this. The RFP is closed. The proposals are in. Pens down for both sides, which means that uh, obviously the contractors have stopped writing, but the government stops making changes to the RFP. You can't go back and say, "Well, we were going to do a five-year contract, and oh, we decided to only award a three-year contract," or we decided that mm, actually maybe let's do let's go buy boats instead of uh, trucks. I mean, it's a stupid example. You can't <laughs> can't go back and change things. You can't even change things like. You can't change the evaluation criteria. You can't change the, the – if you asked for 50 and then somebody offered you 60 of them, it gets into an issue of, well, you asked for 50. Why did you offer me 60? It's just – you yep. can't change anything. That's so this is a time that's called we are in source selection right now. Exactly. When somebody says it's in source selection, it means that RFPs have been sent in and now from the contractor's perspective, it's in the black box. And from the government perspective, it's, it's, it's really go time. Right. So this zone team. covers from the, the – day that proposals are due, right at the end of the RFP zone, from that until the time when you award the contract. Exactly. So award time basically means that contracting officer is normally the source selection authority, unless otherwise, and that, that's a whole other topic. But most of the time, for smaller contracts, is going to be the contracting officer is going to be the source selection authority. Right. And Big a lot stuff, of the major ones, system stuff, it's usually some important uh, government official up the chain, not the CO, but... Correct. Go on. And, and it's fun that you, you and I come from, from both. I've, I've been in both. I've been on major ones and, and where I was three layers from the source selection authority and then I've been lost somewhere I was. Yep. But the point is somebody's making the decision. And then we're going through the, executing the contract. And, and one of the things that 
at the end of the source selection phase, this is, think about what's happening. Take a moment to enjoy the fact that you just climbed a giant mountain. Both, whoever wins the contract. Right. Contracts, take a moment and appreciate that second before you go down the other side into contract administration. This is a huge mountain that we've climbed. And then there's the kickoff meeting and then it moves into contract administration, which that's probably going to be a whole other series of podcasts that we don't cover in this group of stuff. But that's, that's what it is, right? Yep. So evaluation time, let me back up again and give you a little a feel of, there was, I just gave you the, the fire hose version of what is it, right? Well, let's get into the, what are the actual steps? Let's unpack that a little bit. So evaluation time means when this proposal has come in, now we're marching to the beat of section M we being the government team. The government team is in charge now. It's, it's all on them, right? So taking the time to evaluate what is affected by what have you gotten? Is this an LPTA? Was this a best value source selection? All of the stuff that was in section M, that's what you're documenting. And here's the other part. Documentation starts now. Yes. When, when something comes in and it's late or it's got 22 pages instead of 20 pages or it's in the wrong font or... The contract, you, you see that for some reason it's non-compliant because they only gave you four product samples and you asked for six, whatever, but document everything. This, Absolutely. I mean, it's the, the three most important things in source selection are document, document, and document. <laughs> no kidding. It, it, it will save you an insane amount of frustration later, all right? Yep. And so the next stage after evaluation, thoughts <laughs> and documents, well, you get into what's the decision going to be? And this decision, again, I'm, I'm foot stomping this hard. It's based on the RFP. It's who is in the competitive range determination is going to be based on what, what did section L and M say? Based on RFP is whether or not it was best value. Are you actually going to just award to the lowest company? Are you going to go into discussions? All that stuff. This, this, all these decisions, lots of decisions are being made. And that's the part that I think that, that industry doesn't necessarily understand is the number of small decisions being made and the impact of them. And as a contracting officer, think about every one of these decisions, taking somebody out of a competitive range, deciding how this particular, uh, whether or not somebody met clause 52.219-14, the limitation of subcontracting, that's a decision. You gotta, you gotta document that decision because somebody, and I've done it, I've kicked people out for not meeting that clause. And it's, right. it's, that clause, is, it's not even in full text. So right. it, it, you gotta document that. Because and this, this, the scary part is, this is where everything that you did in the requirement zone and the market research zone and the RFP zone, this is where if you're the government acquisition team, this is where it all comes home because what you find out that, and, and I, I, I gotta call out my friend Ryan for explaining this to me in a simple phrase, but this is where if you did not do a good job in the requirement zone and the market research zone and the RFP zone, you end up, you find out that you're evaluating the offer's interpretation of your RFP, not their interpretation of of the requirement itself, right? So if you haven't, if you did not explain it well, you start reading these proposals and you go, oh crap, they totally didn't understand what we're trying to do here. One of my favorite things I used, when you're, roll back to the requirement zone, I used to say, Let's be careful we don't plant landmines in our path we're going to step on during the source selection zone. Because yep. guess what? Now you're going to be stepping on them. <laughs> because if it, it, that's a really good way of saying it, is you're, you're going to end up evaluating the interpretation of the RFP instead of their interpretation of how they're going to meet your requirement. Yep. And, you, don't, you don't want them to be guessing. And if you've done all the other stuff right, they're not guessing. Exactly. Yep. So then the next kind of big takeaway here is, and I, I, I apologize, I'm typically caffeinated, but I, I, this is a really 
passionate topic for me, so I'm probably talking even faster. Now it's explanation time. What I mean by that is as a contracting officer, you got to own everything that's written down. And that's a, remember going, what is it? One is a contracting officer podcast, number seven, talked about the, you know, all the things that a contracting officer has to do. This is kind of one of those moments where, yes, they're going to second guess you. Yes, the lawyers are going to pick apart everything you say. That's part of the position. That's, I mean, it's the, the cool thing about what you can do as a contracting officer, the creativity, the, the, the flexibility you have to take those laws and interpret them to make sure that it all makes sense. Well, guess what? Now is the time you got to explain it. And this is why it's worth having that fight during the requirement zone to make sure that you can explain what happens here. And one of my other sayings that I, I learned the hard way was, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, but you have time to do it twice, I, several people have heard me speak about source selections that I've done, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about these at some other time because it's going to get long. But there are ones I had to do the whole thing over. I kid you not. <laughs> whole source selection twice. Wow, I screwed that one up. How much money on both sides were wasted? And again, the customer was waiting an extra three months, all bad things. So think about that. If you don't have time to do it right the first time, do you have time to do it twice? And this is the time that you have to explain every decision we make. And be okay with that. Own that. The taxpayer wants to know what you're doing. The customer wants to know what you're doing. The industry wants to know what you're doing. We want to know what you're doing. You want to be able to explain it. Yep. So when you explain it, you're talking about in the source selection decision document, you're talking about that that's the internal to the government explanation of why you made this decision that may or may not get shared with the the competitors in your your competition but you are going to have to do debriefings which we did a, a whole nother cast on and you're going to have to explain to them why they did not win this particular competition and if you explain it right they should go away satisfied that they lost fair and square if you don't explain it right that's where you may end up doing it again Exactly. And this big idea of think in terms of everything you do now, you're going to have to explain. And I can't stress enough the importance of own that. For example, if somebody asked me, why did you guys do this podcast? Because people need help. I'm proud of that statement. If you don't agree with it, I'm sorry, but that's our statement. Own it. So as a contracting officer, own your statement. Own that I chose this company because they had the, the, the best solution great past performance and they were five percent more expensive which i decided was reasonable given the market conditions here you go right because if you're not convinced that you made the right decision how do you expect the people that you didn't choose to accept that you made the right decision and and the, the reason this is so easy to stand here and preach about is because i've screwed it up <laughs> amen I, I i i at the debriefing it was clear that by the time i got on explaining it to them i'm thinking if i had written that into my document that i sent them explaining why they didn't win they wouldn't be nearly as frustrated yep. so yeah and this is yeah you, you kind of oddly enough i have an english degree right came in pretty handy as a contracting officer because being able to write this stuff is really the, that's the secret sauce yep. a contracting and if you're a ceo and you're not gr- a great writer get a contract specialist to help you, you get some help yeah <laughs> it's important so we will we will uh move People. on from the next <laughs> piece of it which is if you don't do all this right you might get protests there's there's lots to talk about there, but we're going to move on. We're talking about what is the source selection zone. So let's move on to the next piece of it. What kinds of communication are allowed during the source selection? And the answer is, well, there's not a lot of it. But what is there is very formal communications. Yes, things, things – this goes back to the temperature is really different over here. <laughs> yeah. And everything that goes out is going to be judged. And the whole – remember, you're explaining everything you do. From the government side, you're, you're – your explanation is is what everybody's looking for, right? 
So a couple of examples of actual what, what actually happens. So there's clarifications. Clarifications is used specifically when the intent is to award without discussion. So what that feels like is you asked for, I don't know, a contract for 75, uh, I'll make this really simple, 75 desks. And the company said you can, and the requirement was to deliver them all within two weeks. And a clarification would be, okay, your contract said 15 days. It, it, did you mean, or I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to clarify, 10 business days. Did you mean two weeks? Because we asked for two weeks. So let's clarify. When you say 10 business days, you mean two weeks. And they say yes. That, there's no modification to the contract. There's no... Right. Uh, Is that 14 days or 10 days? It, it, right. You're, you're clarifying something they've already written. Yep. No, that's, they, what that, what, in other words, think of it this way. They're not going to change anything. They're just agreeing yes or no. That's a clarification. And that would allow to award without discussions. And what award without discussions, by the way, means that you're, you're not going to ask for a, a revised proposal. You're not going to do a competitive range. There are all, we should do all an entire podcast of the value of when it's a good idea to do that. In fact, write that down. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good one to do, yeah. when to do uh, discussions or not. Yep, and clarifications are, I mean, those are, these are minor things that don't require a change to the proposal. It's just the meaning of something that's in the proposal. Yeah. So then the next level is communications. So this is prior to a competitive range determination for, for those who, folks who were on the bubble. Think of it that way, is that you're trying to decide, are you, is this company have, re, and the definition of getting somebody into the competitive range really is based on, I'm, I, I'm not quoting the FAR with this statement, but it's based on, do they really have a chance to win? If they really have no chance to win, as mean as it may sound, do them a favor and explain to them why, there's that documentation thing, explain to them why they don't have a chance to win. Because then you're saving them time. Because for them to put the effort into to revising their proposal when they really have no chance, not good. Well, communications, that's what this is about, is that you're, you're trying to decide whether or not they should be in the competitive range. That's kind of the basic idea. And communications feels like, this is how we understand what you're doing. Is this really what you meant to say? Did you really meant, mean that you can get this product delivered in its complete package and can in, in the carbon fiber kits in 21 days when the contract requirement was for 28. And the, by the way, the reason you may ask that question is every other company said they could do it in 21, but this company's strategy doesn't really quite align with what you think they can actually get it done. So you're communicating with them saying, is this really something you can do? And you convince me. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like different government agencies, different government offices have a lot different, uh, a, a wide range of what type of communications are acceptable. There, there's lots, it, that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen at all in a lot of places. That's the, the, you know, it's, it's just, you do minor clarifications or you do a competitive range determination so that you can move on to, into some real communication. But um, it, I, feel, I feel like depending on the, the uh, listener's particular experience, what you're talking about now is either used a lot or not used at all. And and here's another, we should have said this up front, so back up and insert this before we started this whole communication part. None of this is required. Yeah. Well, okay, typical contracting officer answer. As far as we know, <laughs> none of this is required. I'm sure somebody's got an example where it is. But once you start some of these, yes, you have to continue with them. Like once you do a competitive range determination, you're probably going to end up doing exchanges. Or yep. discussion. So, I got but they're all, these are all optional. So. Yep. so let's talk about the next phase of what communications are allowed competitive range determination takes you to exchanges or you know it's it's really negotiations although people don't often treat it like the the back and forth that it can be and uh that that's another big topic but competitive range competitive range determination 
is when the contracting officer decides who has a real chance to win and who doesn't. And the, the, the term that's used there often is the most highly rated. So what that looks like is sometimes I used to use the phrase, we're trying to get to one. And that's not mean it's sounding mean. It's like if we've got 20 proposals, we're trying to award one contract here, right? So we're trying to, to get the most highly rated company. So having 10 of those 20 in the competitive range, you're only going to award one. So just by simple math, it's pretty unlikely that well, actually it's impossible for all, all, even close to more than 10% because you're going to award one contract, right? So you're probably going to go with the most highly rated. You're thinking maybe three. Yeah, I mean, the way I looked at it is if, if, if we could negotiate and someone could actually update their proposal or change something that would allow them to win, then they stay in the competitive range. If no matter what they do, they're just always going to be one click behind. At this point, it's a great, great time to cut them off, say thank you for your proposal, but you're not in the competitive range. So, so you know, the, the other way to look at this is the old school strategy was when in doubt, keep them in. So back in the 90s when you and I started, I remember hearing that phrase during source selections. And then as the, the number of proposals increased, it became when in doubt, kick them out. And it sounds a little harsh, but remember, people only have so much time. And, and again, if you explain to them why they're being kicked out, and that's, a, that's always going to be a passionate topic for me because remember the, one of the core strategies or core reasons for this podcast is to get everybody to communicate. As yep. a contracting officer, if you're not telling them why, they have a right to be mad. Just like if you're listening to this and you and I say to, to the listener, oh, we think that we should do it this way. How many times do we explain why? It's got to be wired into how you're communicating with people. Yep. So I, I'm going to footstop that all day long. Um, and so this idea of the most highly rated, the other part, and this is a fun one, you can, you as a contracting officer can limit the number of people in the competitive range based on a most efficient number to have effective competition. And I got to tell you, I would love, this is a call out to the contracting officers out there. If you've ever done that, I would love to you to have a guest on here because I got I'd never had the guts to do that. Cause I, could you imagine telling somebody, you know, I really just, Wanted to only have five, and so no thanks. Yep, all ten of you are are could win it, but I only really need to evaluate five. Yeah, so it's interesting that's in there, but I never had the guts yeah. to do that. If, if it made sense, look, we'd love to hear from you because that because I would love to hear your, and so would all the companies who that's ever happened to would love to hear the reason why. Yep. So, so. let's touch on competitive range. Uh, it, this is this is the back and forth, and what it really is, it you're not favoring one offer you're not revealing another offer's advantage to the uh, to the people you're talking to you're not giving away specifics in price but you what you're trying to do is you're trying to help that particular offer when you're when you're after the competitive range determination you're trying to help them make their proposal better so you're asking them questions trying to get them to improve areas where they're not where they don't have the highest rating possible and you can tell them. I mean, you can talk price, whether they're too high, whether they're too low, whether particular areas seem to be too high or too low. And, and one of the big things here is that be as clear as you can. So what the, what the, here's what that looks like. We're taking you out of the competitive range because your rating was significantly lower than other offers. Your price was significantly higher and your past performance is – on a, on a subjective term is not as <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for is not as relevant, relevant. There it is. Relevant or recent as other offers. Okay. 
Now, they can ask for a debriefing and look for, or they can wait and get a post-award debriefing and get the details of that. But I mean, that's very specific. You're saying you're not going to catch up. Now, if you said to them, well, we thought you were weak. What does that mean? How how weak? Can I catch up? I mean, I would love to, I I want this work because industry is saying, I put in the effort and the blood, sweat and tears. Go back and listen to the RFP zone and you'll hear the blood, sweat and tears they put into this is they want to know, can I catch up? And you want them to know, you know what? Somebody played this better than you. It's yep. business. It's competition. Yep. And if you're keeping them in the competitive range and you're having these conversations, you're, you're, not, you're not trying to tell them, the, hey, the other guy did this. Why don't you do that? What you're doing is you're trying to tell them how they can approve their particular solution to better meet the evaluation criteria, to better solve your problem. But you, it, it's, it's their specific proposal, not compared to other proposals. Okay, so and that's a, that's a, I just did a, a blog post about price always matters, and the idea is, I, I may have told this story on here before, but this is what this looks like. Company A's technical solution was very good, past performance was really good, but their price was this is somebody who's in the competitive range, and the, but their price was significantly higher than other off relative to other offers, and that's what the source selection evaluation, or I guess we'll call it the evaluation notice, which was the request for them to send a final proposal. That's what the letter said. So they were in the competitive range, and we told them what they basically said. In order for you to catch up, you got to cut your price, dude. Yep. That's what we. T- so you got to tell them how they can catch up. And if they can't catch up, this goes back to when in doubt, kick them out. Yep. So you get done with talking to them. If you need to, you request final proposal revisions, and they get or or have them confirm that this is their final offer. And the the FAR says you may request proposal revisions. My experience is is if you do a competitive range determination and you have these exchanges, you're going to get final proposal revisions. And, and you're going to want them. That's the other side. You're going to want to confirm, hey, we negotiated this. Let's, docu- let's document our negotiation by you sending me your final proposal revision. Right. And then the last piece here is the source selection authority's decision. Is That goes back to the documentation piece. Is, is this is a comparative assessment of the proposals. And again, this is out of uh, FAR 13 or 15.3. Is it a comparative assessment of, of the proposals on all source selection criteria, wait for it, in the solicitation? Remember that? That's going to keep coming up. Everything that you said in Section M and nothing more and nothing and, and, less. And in exchange for that, and this goes back to what makes being a contracting officer interesting, in exchange for that requirement to make sure it's in the solicitation, the source selection authority's independent judgment. So given all those variables, if you laid out your overall strategy, this is where I'm saying own your decision. I gave a com- I, I gave company, and you can Google all kinds of things about the contracts that, that, that you and I have awarded. And I don't know how many you're going to be able to see the actual statements, but the idea is I own the decision of awarding a contract to this company for this equipment for the following reasons. And if you protest it and you, or you ask for a Freedom of Information Act or dig into those files for some, you're going to see I owned it. And... Full disclosure, the ones in earlier in my career, you're going to see weaker ones <laughs> that I'm not particularly proud of. So this is why it's such a passionate thing is document your decision and own it because your, your name is on that contract yep. forever, <laughs> really. And the program manager, the customer, the user, the lawyer, the, the, the SES that was giving you the opinion of, well, I think we should. Their name's not on there. As crude as that sounds to say that your name is. <laughs> so, and, and uh, this is a, another passionate issue for me is I have actually said, and I'm putting this out there publicly. I'm, I'm sure this is going to irritate a lot of people, but I'm kind of okay with that. 
I've actually slid a contract across the desk to, to other government folks and said, then you sign it. And I got to tell you, you won't make a lot of friends, but you'll set the tone of, you're asking me to put my name on this thing, man. My kids are going to see my name on this 20 years from now when it shows up in the news. I own that. So, yeah. all right. So you need to explain your decision. You don't have to quantify all of the trade-offs that led to that decision. You don't have to show the math that says this plus this plus this equals that. But you do have to qualify that your decision was made because this is the superior proposal for these reasons. I can't add any more to that. Because <laughs> I've already <laughs> right. added a lot. So, so what's industry doing? Move on. What is industry doing during this phase? So – one thing somebody on each industry team is watching to see if there's any RFP amendments that get posted during this phase. Somebody is, but not everybody. The rest of what they're doing is um, taking some time off because they probably just worked a month or more straight or maybe a week straight. They're probably uh, stressing a little bit about what they did, what they wrote. Probably uh, taking a few days off, seeing their families again. Mostly they're sitting wondering when the government's actually going to make the decision. And, uh, you know, there might might even be like an office pool on when the uh, source election decision will actually be announced versus when it was scheduled. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying <laughs> I've done that, of course. <laughs> so I was talking to the, the source election team, the proposal writing team, they may be taking time off. The, the folks that are actually going to run the program, if they're not the same people – they're preparing to win and start. You know, of course, it totally depends on the type of work. But if it's a services kind of thing where you have to have a hundred people, you know, it's supposed to be awarded in thirty days, and then you have thirty days to staff up, and it's a hundred people that you don't have on staff now. You know, they're, the the industry is working hard to be ready to start at the award date that the that the uh, contracting officer that the acquisition team has announced because they they. According to their proposal, they need to be ready to start and be going. So there is a lot of work. If, if, it's a, if it's a production contract, if they're delivering something, well, they're making sure they can actually supply what they said on time. It's, it's not, it's, uh, the proposal team m- might get to breathe, but the, contract, um, the contractor themselves, the company, is, is preparing to perform as if they're going to win. They have to be. And as, as a small company, so, I mean, a lot of the – we're talking – this that conversation sounds more like the bigger ones. So just for mm-hmm. those of you, that, that, that's completely correct. And it, for the smaller ones, for smaller companies, yes, you're com- you're continuing to perform, but you're going back and going probably running the rest of your company and probably preparing for the next one. Yep. Because smaller companies tend to do more frequent and smaller proposals. So it's yeah, I'm talking yeah. about gigantic things where you spent six months or a year prepping for this thing. You submit the proposal and there's a a whole bunch of moving parts that have to be in place on the day of start. So, you know, after a quick breather, everybody's totally preparing for that. And and, and, yeah, it's it's relative because even though you may have spent a smaller company, may have spent smaller, a a smaller amount of time prepping for it. You should be doing the same things. You should be prepping for what if the contracting officer tells us next week, next month or two months from now and says, okay, here's the contract. Let's get started. You, you, you got to fulfill the promise that you made when you sent the proposal. Yep. <laughs> and, and as a contracting officer, I never thought about that. It's like, oh, well, they're, they're sitting pacing, wait for me to call. <laughs> so they're going to be ready to go, right? So be, be aware of that. Yeah. So what is the government team doing? And that's kind of the crux. This, this is their time. This is, this is the government's time to shine, right? So 
This is where they're evaluating all the proposals. The ball's in their court. Yep. So step by step, you know, proposal due date day, boxes come in. If there's if it's a big source selection, there's boxes stacked to the ceiling from multiple offers, and this is where the the process of opening the boxes, documenting, making sure everybody submitted all the volumes like they're supposed to, counting pages. You know, if, if there's a if there's page limits on, say, the technical volume, if you said 50 pages, their contracting officers, acquisition teams, they're counting the pages. And if you have 52, they take those out of the binder. Or if in the electronic files, they get them removed so that those pages aren't evaluated because they're only allowed to evaluate the 50 pages that were allowed in Section L. Bingo. So then once that process starts, now there's the actual evaluation process, which may, inco- which may include some software, which may include the, a big spreadsheet that's a, that's a compliance matrix of did they address everything that was in Section L? What does the document look like? Did we get enough product samples? Okay, there's that compliance stuff. But then the judgments start coming in because now you've got a, a customer saying, okay, does this dry suit actually keep me dry? What were the evaluation criteria we said we we're going to use? Was it going back to that motorcycle we talked about and, and recently? Did it specifically? Because how do we going to test it? Does it go 100 miles an hour? All of that stuff yep. that's happening on on the product side and then on the service side, they're they're evaluating how are you going to actually recruit these people? How are you going to make sure that they don't leave? How are you going to uh, capture the incumbents that are here? All the stuff that they said they'd evaluate. A lot of it, it's judgments. And those judgments, these are thinking humans doing this, right? And we should say that they're doing it serially, right? So it, you, yes. com, you evaluate one offer completely before you move on to the next one. And and how is that order determined? I mean, I'd, I'd write each offer down, at, you know, like literally the old throw the names in a hat thing and make somebody pick them out to, to get a random evaluation order, you know, you know not, not alphabetically or anything like that. Just you... You evaluate each one. You completely document the results of your evaluation of that, that one before you move on to the next one. And, and this is another one of those moments where it could be that the technical volume is given to the technical team and the pricing volume is given to the pricing team and they don't ever talk. Or it could be that they do talk. Or it could be that it's a relatively small one and they're looking at the whole thing because it's a product and it's just you shop. You're just looking at price, saying, okay, that product costs X and this product, so therefore it's a reasonable price based on market conditions, but you're not comparing it to the other ones yet. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're looking at the evaluation of, of that proposal against the requirement, of, yeah. against Section L&M. Most of my and, experiences were big enough that, that we, we kept the price and the technical as completely separate evaluations, and the idea is so that the technical people don't get swayed by the fact that they know that this one is much more expensive or much less expensive. It kind of keeps them focused on purely evaluating the technical merits of that against the criteria. Yeah, and it gets uh, there's again there's a, there's an art there's an art and science to that, and I let me show you what that feels like. We had one where the the pricer came to me, the pricing guys looking at the all the prices of and, and the the it's a cost type contract, so there's all kinds of different stuff. Well, the one company had a lot more cost in one area, and he comes to me as the contracting officer saying, "Well, th- this looks skewed. Something's off with their numbers here." I want I. I kind of want to get some context on this. And my decision as a contracting officer is, well, we, do we wait till the very end or do we go talk to, because again, this, this is long enough that every, every evaluation, every company has been evaluated. Say that, right? 
or do we let him go talk to the program guys who are looking at the technical and women, actually, as it turns out, uh, and looked at, let them look at the, the technical side and say, is this company doing something that would drive, them, drive their costs up more? Does that, when does that happen? And the point is, that doesn't happen, in, in your example, it doesn't happen before the technical team is done evaluating. Right. Because it's going to, going back to it, it's going to skew. All these decisions, going back to the contracting officers making all these decisions, that's one of those decisions that you're like, you know what? That's a piece of information. I have to make sure I'm aware of when that information is, is relayed. And think about that. So, and I, I go back to the, you know, putting on the industry hat saying, what's taking so long? This kind of stuff is happening. You, to make a, a decision on something like that that could totally skew how this, this company is evaluated, it takes time. And so here's the next big topic that, that there's a huge issue for both sides, going back to the communicating part. I have taken, and I'm, I'm going to throw myself onto the bus first because, you know, leaders lead, right? <laughs> I have taken over a, up to, not over, it was almost a year to the day to get an evaluation done. A year. How does it take a year to evaluate something? I can give you all kinds of examples. Here's one. The program manager, who is, the, you know, this is the guy who's an engineer. He understands the the actual context of what we're buying and why it's needed. And again, this is special operations command. You think everything ha happens faster, right? I was running four source selections. This guy, the program manager, he was running two of those four. He calls me as a question about, he's, he's finishing the 77 page evaluation of one of the offers. And while he's calling me, so you understand what's going on, he's in the car driving, he's sitting in the passenger seat, he's not driving, he's riding in a, in a, in a rental car, driving across the, the desert, going out to a, a testing facility on the other source selection. The time he has to write this is while he's sitting in the car. He's calling me with his cell phone. You can, you can see this, the picture here. He's got the cell phone stuck up on his shoulder while he's got the laptop open, while he's riding in a car. Good thing he doesn't get car sick like I do trying to type while he's driving. He's trying to get this evaluation done because he's frustrated that it's taken us so long to get it done. And, and he's part of the process, but he, it's not because he's not trying to get it done. Right. What, so here's the problem. We, we government, myself as a contracting officer, I'm to blame for this. I did not promise properly. I overpromised how fast we can get this done. What I should have said is, hey, industry, I know you sprinted to get this proposal done for us. You had 45 days and you cranked it out. I get that. It's not going to be done on our side for at least, I should have said at least six months because we have other source selections and you can, I don't know, you can, there's probably all kinds of rules about what you can and can't tell people, but understand that you need to tell them it's not going to get done. Quick. Right. There, it's really, really easy to miscalculate how long it takes. It's going to take you to evaluate for, for all kinds of reasons, but there's no excuse for not communicating shifts in the schedule with industry. And those shifts in the schedule can cause all kinds of problems with the quality of what you actually receive when you award. If you're basing your evaluation on what industry said they could do, in June, and you award it in November, depending on what you're buying, you might not, they might not be able to live up to those promises as easily as, as they promised them in June. If it's, if it's a production line kind of thing, they could have had their production line tweaked to slot what you needed in in June. But that causes all kinds of problems to do the, that same production in November. If it's people, you know, like we were saying before, if they've run out and done all kinds of recruiting because you said you were going to start in June, they have all kinds of contingent offer letters out for, hey, if we win this, we need you to start June 1st. If you award in November, all those people are gone. You're not going to get what they originally 
had planned they could they could give you. And if it's if it's their own native people in the company, even if they don't have to hire people, if they have their staff slotted to work on your program for a certain amount of time, and five months later is when you decide to start, that staff is off doing other things for other customers that did award on the schedule that they planned on. So and important. It's, it's interesting. While you're saying this, I have a flood of examples of how to deal with this, but we're trying so hard not to get into the how. <laughs> the, the what is, is just over-communicate. Just tell them that it's going to take us a while. And I, I, yeah, the, the year ex- example is, is, is crazy, and there were so many different variables that led to that. But I did not do a good job of communicating with industry. That, and it's funny, I'll bet the companies that know the source selection I'm talking about, they probably are saying, you know what, he didn't. Uh, but it, it's just no, learn, learn from mixing. Now, there are other ones that I've done well where I said, I actually, during the debriefing, the guy specifically said, the, one, the, it was a guy at the time, he actually said, you know what, you told me this was going to be awarded th- by October, and here we are on October 17th, and it's awarded. I appreciate that. And until he said that, and I thought, well, I never really thought about that. That's why this is so important to me. That's why you hear this, the, the, the excitement of being able yeah. to get both sides to understand that if it's going to take you four months, promise them six. <laughs> I mean, why not? Um, so that just, it, just over-communicate that because it, it's misery on both sides. Yep. They feel like you're behind. You feel like the, the analogy I used to use is I feel like there's a, the Indiana Jones ball is chasing me as a contracting officer to hurry up and get this done. And the last thing you want to go back to, you're owning this thing, right? You want the time to think about how am I going to explain to the seven companies who are going to get nothing for all their effort? That takes time. Give yourself the time to do that because the more you communicate with them, the less misery there's going to be later. All right, so th- this concludes the, the, the four time zones and we'll, we'll get back on the cycle of giving you new stuff next week. And, but continue to ask questions. We're getting new topics from people. I really appreciate the, the feedback on Twitter. We're starting to get direct emails from people. There's a survey you can fill out on, our, uh, on the Contracting Officer podcast that says, you know, who are you? Are you a, are you a government person? Are you a small business, large business? And there's also, you can submit a topic. So we've got a huge list of them. Yep, coming up soon, Kevin and Paul answer reader mail. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that'll be a fun one. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Talk to you later. All right. That's it for the acquisition time zones. There's a lot of information in there. So as always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to our website at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Hit the contact button and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone.